1950s science fiction podcast. Writers to the Stars, the 1950s sci-fi movie review. Hello and welcome to the 1950s science fiction podcast. During the fourth episode of the series, I will be discussing a favorite movie of mine. Writers to the Stars was produced by Ivan Torres and released by United Artists in 1954. So far, I hope that you've been enjoying my podcast. As I've said before, I am new at this, so I'm still learning how to create a good podcast. I do ask for your patience when it comes to editing flaws and other mistakes on my part. Hope the podcast is audible to everyone and clearly understood by anyone. Please feel free to send me any feedback by messaging me on whatever app you listen to your podcast. Now on to the episode. Writers to the Stars Introduction. Writers to the Stars was a independently made American movie. I'm sorry. Writers to the Stars was was made independently by American movie producers, but used a well-known studio for its release. The movie was co-op co-produced by Maxwell Smith and Herbert L. Strock, with Ivan Torres being the principal producer. Writers Directed by Richard Carlson, who also started it as well. The film co-starred William Langdon, Martha Heyer, and Herbert Marshall. The screenplay was written by Kurt Sodomack from an original story by Ivan Tavares. Taurus. The movie got released on January 14, 1954, with a running time of 81 minutes. Writers to the Stars was shot in color. Or theatrical release, but it had black and white prints made for TV broadcasts. The movie is number two in a three of in a three-part series produced by Taurus. The other two I may discuss in a future podcast. The beginning. The movie starts by showing technicians tracing a space probe via radar. After the probe lands, it disintegrates on impact. This effect baffles the scientists in charge of a top-secret project. The project is a government-funded program designed to put humans into outer space. The head of the project, Dr. Donald Staten, played by Herbert Marshall, decided that the problem lies with cosmic radiation. Upon the suggestion of a female scientist, Dr. Jane Flynn, played by Martha Hare, that meteors may hold the solution to the problem. They believe that meteors have certain metals that can protect it from breaking apart on entry into the atmosphere. Therefore, Dr. Stanton decided to, on a course of action, and contacts the Pentagon in Washington. Upon receiving the request from Dr. Stanton, the Department of Defense conducts an intensive search for qualified individuals. The results yield 12 men who may possess the needed skills for the secret project. A government agent dispatched to each of the chosen persons presents an invitation to to participate in the project should he decide to accept. The agent explains that he knows little about the project and secrecy is paramount. Each recipient, recipient is transported to an undisclosed location and meets with Dr. Staten along with his associates. Dr. Staten explains that he still can't reveal the reason why they are, are there. 
However, he does ask for each applicant's patient and cooperation. He further explains that special tests are needed before they can proceed with the selection. While, while waiting in a large room, the group is told to make themselves comfortable and will be called for soon. During this time, the group is under observation by a person within the applicants. The observer is not one of the participants, not one of the applicants, but an expert in human behavior. After observing the group for a couple for two hours, he checks in with Dr. Stan and gives his results. He eliminates a chain smoker and another applicant who panicked after he tried to leave the tried to leave the, the room, which was locked at the time. The selection continues. Once the first round of tests is over, the selection process continues with fewer applicants. Next round of tests is more physical and endurance in nature. The tests include putting a man in a centrifuge and to see how well he can stand multiple G-forces. The applicants undergo a hand and eye coordination test as well. One of the test subjects, Dr. Richard Stanton, who is also the son of the project head, does exceedingly, does exceedingly well in the centrifuge test. He can withstand 13 times the gravity of Earth as demonstrated by the centrifuge instruments. The results get the attention of the project heads and they realize he's a prime candidate for their mission. The decision. After some more testing, the applicants become narrowed to four candidates for the project. These include Dr. Stanton's son, Dr. Jerry Lockwood, played by Richard Carlson, and two other candidates. Now it is explained to the candidates what the project is all about. Dr. Staden explains that each of the chosen men will pilot a rocket ship to capture a meteor in flight and bring it back to Earth. Dr. Staden emphasizes how dangerous the mission will be to anyone who accepts the position. Therefore, one of the requirements for the job was for the applicants to be single. All the applicants are not married. However, Dr. Jerry Lockwood was considering a marriage proposal. He does persuade the project heads that this will not cloud his judgment. Therefore, he does get selected. Not all the, not all the candidates agree with the goals of the project. One in particular doesn't agree with Dr. Stanton's at all and believes that he is using the technology to weaponize outer space. The candidate, the candidate decides to leave the pro, quit the project and leave only, thus leaving only three pilots. During the discussions, Dr. Luckwood brings up the question of why do you need a human pilot when you could try a computer-controlled ship? Dr. Stanley states that the need of the mission needs of the mission require a human being because only a human can make critical split-second decisions. Also, a computer would be too large for the rocket ship as well. Considering this was an er considering this was the early age of computers and microprocessors haven't become of age yet. <clears throat> the flight. So now three of the candidates get themselves ready for flight. During a pre-flight pre briefing, Dr. Staten shows a film depicting mice during weightlessness. 
while any test capsule fired into space. He talks to the pilots about the effects of zero gravity on the body and how it would affect them. Should the mission become successful, they will become the first human beings to fly into outer space. During the preparation and testing phase of the project, Dr. Staten strikes up a romance with Dr. Flynn. To become very involved with each other despite the danger he faces. It creates another plot in the point in the story. The timing of the flight is contingent on a group of meteors headed to Earth. A swarm of meteors is under observation by the Palomar Observatory. Dr. Staten plans to time the flight to the closest approach of the meteors. It will call for split-second timing for every pilot to execute their command at the controls of the rocket ship. The interception. After Dr. Stanton learns the meteor's time of approach, he calls for the pilots to be ready for an early blast-off. Tensions are running high as this, at this instant, and the rocket ship is... Rocket ships are, are checked and rechecked. Dr. Stetton tells his son to be careful and follow instructions by the ground control. All three get suited up in a specially designed spacesuit. All men are nervous but confident they will succeed. The men take off at the same time and head straight for the meteor swarm. Once they are close enough, they will use a scoop inside the nose cone of the rocket ship to capture a meteor. The first one to get close is Walter Gordon, the third man to accept a mission, and is played by Robert Carnes. Unfortunately, his rocket ship explodes on impact with the meteor. Next up is Dr. Lockwood, who's about to try an interception but suffers a mental breakdown after seeing the dead body of Gordon floating towards him. He then panics and tries to exit the rocket ship, only to steer it away from Earth headed toward deep space. One chance left. Now there's really only one chance left to intercept the meteor, and that is lies with Dr. Stanton. Staten maneuvers his rocket ship toward the stream, toward the swarm, and, and the scoop. He, and the scoop is ready, but misses the swarm. However, he sees a fragment crossing his path, flight path, and decides to capture it. He informs Ground Control of his intentions and ignores their objections. Ground Control is concerned about his fuel usage and whether or not he can return safely. Staten manages to capture the fragment in the net of the nose cone, then makes his way back to Earth while low on fuel. He starts re-entry into the atmosphere with great difficulty. His helmet fogs up, and he almost, almost all the power is gone. He nearly loses control, but crashes in the desert, but crashes in the des desert near the rocket base. A recovery team is. A recovery team raced to the scene and found Dr. Staten unconscious in the pilot seat. He receives a dose of oxygen from medical technicians and recovers quickly. His father, his father looks over the wreckage of the nose cone and finds a meteor fragment intact inside the net, thus accomplishing their mission. The movie ends at this point.
My Thoughts on the Movie I first watched this movie on a late night Saturday evening during the horror host featured movies from my local TV station. I watched the film in its black and white version and later in color. It was my, I was in my early teens at the time and I loved watching the movie for the first time. And I still, I continue to enjoy it even today. What I love about this movie the most is the use of hard science throughout the film. It gives the movie a very realistic feel and an authority to the plot. Writers made creative use of stock footage of rocket launches and related activities. Most of, most of it was rocket testing at White Sands Missile Basin in Mexico. However, one of the most striking sequences I watched in writers was the use of a, of a radioactive pill that Dr. Stanton took while, while in the centrifuge. An x-ray machine showed how his mouth and lungs worked during the increased gravitational forces. Overall, I think it's a good movie for its time. The writer stayed on the cutting edge of science and technology for plot points in the story. It was not unlike the techno-thrillers we see today. But writers are the type, writers for the stars are the type of movies that inspire children to children to grow up and become scientists and engineers. Also notable was the role of Dr. Jane Flynn. Her character was there to do serious scientific work. The romance between her and Richard Stanton was secondary. As to the main plot of the movie, I don't think that scientists ever captured a meteor to examine the contents to see if, if it had material that would strengthen other metals. I did do some fact-checking and found that the materials for space probes were from materials such as Kelvar and other materials, but not from meteors. However, I did learn that harsh environment out of space can erode metals over time, and cosmic radiation does play a part in that. So the movie was not too far off its mark. Conclusion Well, that's all for now. Thanks for listening to my podcast. I hope to return as soon as I can with another podcast episode on 50 Sci-Fi. Please feel free to subscribe and leave comments. Also, check out my vocal media profile page where you can get a written transcript of the show and extras as well.